0: Do I hear something weird? Sure. So Elise and I were talking this morning about how basically how terrible it is taking our kids to restaurants, but it's but it's okay. not for the reason that you might think or that I would have expected. It's not because they're unruly and you know throwing food and Hard climbing all over the banquets and stuff. Yeah. Well, there's a little bit of that, but it's actually just like they do not eat the food they just are not interested in the food and I don't quite understand why because it's we go to places where they serve their favorite things like it's pizza and burgers and stuff but they always they're not even like Cora especially she's not a picky eater at home she eats like a very wide array of fruits vegetables meats stuff like that but for some reason when we get to a restaurant she just is so she just tears the food apart and like and won't eat it
1: uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, this is probably me projecting <laughs> and I don't want to put you on the spot, mm-hmm. Alan, but it sounds almost a little bit like you're proud of her.
0: Like my cooking, my cooking has elevated their palates to such a degree that they, <laughs> yes. they will not eat chicken fingers. Exactly. In the restaurant. Yeah.
1: They're so used to having like the They're so used to having the well, like the the like beautifully intentioned, like enhance the flavor of the specific ingredient (laughs) that you're working with type of attention to detail. And like the the like nonstop experimentation (sighs) for the texture of your pizza dough. And (laughs) when they get to the restaurant, they're like, oh, I see (laughs) You can just slop food together (laughs) and put it in front of somebody and they'll just sit down and pay for it and eat it.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think that might be what's going on.
1: Yeah. Oh no. (laughs) You've ruined them. Like one of their
0: favorite, one of Cora, again, her her favorite food in the world is like, we just call them wraps, but it's just like soft flour tortillas. And she likes crispy fish ones with iceberg and avocado and, and, we went mm-hmm. out for tacos and she was like, Snapper, do you guys have LingCod? I'm just saying, that didn't happen. That didn't actually happen. <laughs> that didn't happen. That's I'm just good.
1: <laughs> tilapia. I can get tilapia in the live tank at the grocery <laughs> store. Welcome to Food Court. I'm Shale McDonald, and I'm here with my co-host, Alan Sutterby. How you doing, Alan? Great. We're two chefs in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We love food, and we love to talk about it. What are we going to talk about today, Alan? Wait, before I... Every time. This is a, time. my beginning for every show. Every time. Hey, every, <laughs> just, just so that everyone knows, I rehearse this. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, before we even get into feedback, Alan, mm-hmm. I uh, I either have a, a bone to pick with you or an apology to make. I think it's the latter. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm ready. i just <laughs> kidding. I have no idea what you're talking about. Alan, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I, okay. So, you know, when we started the show, I like the opening that we do. Um, I mean, aside from the music, obviously that took some time to produce, Mm -hmm. but the opening that we do, um, I thought about it for a while, but I couldn't come up with anything good and, uh, like, (laughs) well, the food court, the thing that we do or Mm -hmm. whatever, it's just sort of like a run through that I did and, and something
0: you, you made up on the spot basically. Is that what you mean?
1: Kind of something that I, it was kind of something that I made up on the spot. And I was never actually all that happy with it. But, and I considered the idea of like trying to change it at some point. But then it just sort of became part of the show. And um, it seemed like it was not either necessary or maybe that it would be weird to like just change it all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the beginning of the show, I was usually doing the intro. And then at some point, we sort of split up the intro duties Mm -hmm. um, so that we would um, alternate. Doing it. I wanted to
0: take some of the burden off of you.
1: Right. And, but, but like, uh, you know, my, uh, which was great. Thank <laughs> you all. <laughs> no problem. Much appreciated and felt. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I guess like, so when I made up the intro, uh, you know, what I was saying was we're two chefs from, from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We love food and we love to talk about it. Um, but that's actually not technically true of you, is it? And, and then um recently I, Started to notice that you were saying, We are two chefs in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We love food and we love to talk Mm -hmm. about it. And I was like, Oh, like at first, I was just like, I didn't, it didn't even like really occur to me that it was like, um, truer. (laughs) Okay. I was just like, Oh, this is just, you know, Alan's saying it a little bit of different, of a different way every Mm -hmm. time. And, and like, um, but, but like then just recently, I think when I was just, editing our last episode, I was thinking about it. And I was like, oh, actually, that's true for Alan. Right. Really? <laughs> Is that he's not from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. He's in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Well... And I don't know if you're doing that intentionally, but it then occurred to me that uh, I was sort of... Um, that, that our original intro was uh, ostracizing you a little bit. <laughs> I...
0: um, so my my place of birth notwithstanding, I do feel that I am from Edmonton. Like I, from it's Edmonton, definitely yeah, my okay, that's home. fair. I have a, a yeah. house and a family and a life here. That's and true. And I've lived here for 20 years now, so I, I'm comfortable <laughs> saying I'm from Edmonton. I don't know why I changed the preposition. I I have no idea. If anything, I thought you were the one who wasn't really from Edmonton.
1: Uh, Well, no, I'm born and <laughs> oh, raised, yeah. but yeah. yeah, uh, Born and raised, moved away and came back. It
0: wasn't, I honestly, there was nothing intentional about it.
1: Interesting. Okay, well, uh, I feel like apologies the, still in place, but
0: the saying that we're in Edmonton, there's something more active and current about that word than we're from there.
1: Yeah, that's we're true, too. Anyways, I like it oh, better. Okay. So that's what so I'm that's gonna the do official now on. one now. OK, yeah. Unless well, actually, probably what's going to happen is I'll just forget that we even ever had this conversation. <laughs> and like in two years, I'll be saying from right. and yeah. I, <laughs> I'll just be totally oblivious. again. <laughs> Remind me when that happens, because we'll have a good laugh about it
0: um i have i have follow-up oh cool <laughs> really vain follow-up um nice so i i i left a really great comment on a sussman's post a few weeks ago and it's oh. got like it's got like 60 likes wow cool. um there's there was this sussman's post um it's a video of maybe a a groom and a best man or maybe a groom and another groom i don't know but like two guys in tuxedos um And one of them has his back turned and the other one is about to unveil some like epic gift to him. And so the guy turns around and he immediately starts bawling. He was like weeping. He's so happy. And the guy who's bestowing the gift is like smiling and slapping him on the back. And, um, and then in the Sussman's meme, it flashes, sorry, the, um, the guy receiving the gift, it says chef on him and the guy giving the gift, it says owner. And then he flashes, um, an image of a new VAC master, um, vacuum sealer and a Paco jet and something like a polyscience circulator or something. So it's like, yeah, this restaurant owner, like doing this unspeakably generous uh, or inconceivably generous thing for the chef. And the chef is breaking down. um, That's hilarious. And so my comment was flash forward eight months and, um, the vac master has done 10,000 cycles and hasn't had the oil changed and the, the gasket is torn <laughs> and the chef is bitching to the crew about how the owner is too cheap, uh, too cheap to buy them a new one. And, um, anyways, it got, it got good, yeah.
1: uh, got good traction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that what that's called? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I'm sure you, you probably actually did, did, uh, Eli Sussman respond to it uh, He all? did. He said, "Oh, okay. um, <laughs> He said, "Thanks for stealing my next joke." <laughs> no, <he's, laughs> he
0: said, "Sir, this is a Denny's. What are you talking about?" <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> and it had some, some some sub some kind of sub thread uh, comment threads about uh, how to maintain your vacmaster and
1: stuff. <laughs> went, yeah, and somebody attached the PDF of the of the owner's <laughs> yeah. manual. Here you guys go. This is where we're getting our information mm. from now, from the Sussmans.
0: <laughs> yeah, we went down a weird chefy a niche chef uh... Reddit
1: is shutting down all their third party clients, so we have to go on <laughs> we have to go in the comments thread on the Sussmans.
0: Speaking of niche chef stuff, you know what we're talking about today, Shill?
1: Yeah, I have a pretty good idea. Um I'm pretty excited to talk to talk about it because it sort of seems like it's something that's been uh you know, in the background of our own personal conversations for quite a mm-hmm. while. And uh, yeah, and I think it's exciting to finally sort of be able to talk about it on mm-hmm. the show.
0: I think you should call this episode Too Many Cs. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. we're going to talk about... Gonna... <laughs> exactly. And, and like when you...
1: <laughs> there should be a meme about when you have too many of the same letter in your acronym how are people supposed to remember the order in which the words are supposed to be placed that's right it's
0: actually a night like being a chef in the culinary arts in canada it's a nightmare like as all of the professional organizations are just like it's just like six c's in every single acronym yeah like exactly. i'm not sure like, so like
1: the C C C F C C C exactly
0: because especially because of the bilingual like nature of the country it's not just the canadian culinary federation cc F it's CCFCC because they it's yeah. the English one like butted up against the French one too. It's yeah. Anyways, today we're talking about the CCC Certified Chef de Cuisine, uh, which is administered by the CCI, the Canadian Culinary Institute, under the auspices <laughs> of the CCF, the Canadian Culinary Federation.
1: <laughs> Good gravy. But. <laughs> um, great job with that, Alan, because I, <laughs> I was going to try and give an explanation and I was not, uh, I was not very confident That's about
0: okay. it. Um, so yeah, this is, it's just, it's a certification, certified chef de cuisine, um, a professional certification, um, that I've been working on and it just kind of everything, the, the practical components of the, um, uh, the practical exams just happened in the last couple of weeks. And so, it's done, and we're going to talk about the, the whole process and what it involved, and that's the plan.
1: Yeah, so I guess briefly, um, when did you start working towards this certification?
0: So basically, shortly after I started working at Nate, um it became clear to me that this is something that I should do and perhaps was even expected of me. Um, so I've been thinking about it. <laughs>
1: Sorry. The way you phrased that just made, just gave me all these like um uh like passive aggressive vibes. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm sure that's not it, but yeah, it sounded like you were saying that I was coerced people are like dropping hints to you that if you didn't do it, your job might be in jeopardy or something
0: like it is. I don't think this has ever been in an official document, but it's been um, suggested or insinuated to me that uh, in the future, this certification would be a base requirement to, um, to become an instructor at Nate. So I had, I already had a a permanent position there. And so I like, it's not like they were saying (laughs) my job was not in the balance, but It for future hires, and I I, again I don't know if this is official or what, but it was I was told that someday it would be um, a base a base uh, qualification.
1: Um, Huh, that's interesting. I think that like I'm pretty skeptical that, and like this is obviously just my intuition. I have no idea what it's like um, trying to hire chef instructors for. A culinary school program mm-hmm. but like it seems to me that like while there are you know obviously a limited number of positions that are available uh like as chef instructors at in any culinary program and that i think that for a lot of chefs um it seems like a really stable good option for employment i'm sure those jobs are sought after Mm -hmm. it seems to me you know like with my current level of exposure to the ccc certification um and, and like having been in the industry and the number of chefs that i can name who have gotten that certification or who i have seen who um, who have it. Yeah. I I think the word that you said, Alan, and (laughs) that I sort of fully agree with is niche. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's very rare to come across someone who is like even really aware of the certification. Mm -hmm. And it's really only ever necessary in very specific employment circumstances. Mm -hmm. And I would say that it would be quite limiting to say that you were only really going to accept applicants who already had that certification, um, you know, I I would I would think that it would be much more practical to say that it is like a requirement, but that applicants don't necessarily need to have it, mm-hmm. but that you know after a certain. Like, maybe for contract employees, they don't need to have it. But if they want to be tenured, then they do need to have it or something like that. Like, I could see something like that. But it just seems like very limiting to getting people in the door um, for positions if, if, right. like, because and- it's a pretty long process to get it. And if everyone who wanted to be a culinary instructor had to do that before they were able to apply, I just think it would make the job market like so tough.
0: Plus, because the like culinary arts is so broad, like it, and the CCC really is like, um, focused on a certain kind of service and cuisine. So like if you had, maybe it's not as feasible for someone whose background is in pastry exclusively to go through, like to, to do the practical components of the exam, but you still want an excellent, like they're an excellent pastry instructor. Um, Mm -hmm. so anyways, that's why I just had conversations that it, that that's the um, that, that was my takeaway from it, but uh, yeah, you're right. It might not, right. it might not be.
1: <laughs> well, and you know, it's possible that that's the intention, but that, you know, um, maybe the realities that I mentioned will come into play to change that or, or maybe like, yeah, maybe that's sort of the direction, but they, they already understand that there's, that they ha- are going to have to, you know, uh, there's going to have to be some sort of, uh, structure around how they do that in order to for them to still be able to, you mm-hmm. know, find the right applicants or something, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, basically when you started at Nate, which was what 4 years ago? Uh
0: t- almost 3 years ago. Yeah.
1: Almost 3 yeah. years ago. Okay. Oh yeah, okay. That makes sense. Um and so you became aware of the idea that it would be important for you to take it. Uh what it, did you pretty much right away? Just like decide, okay, yeah, well, this is available to me, and I'm going to jump in. Or,
0: uh, yeah, so my after I got a permanent position at Nate, I did take the first year. Uh, sorry, I didn't. I, I worked for a full year uh, at Nate before I started the process, and it was just because I wanted to. That first year, I wanted to focus on the the class that I was teaching, uh, and then once I had that year under my belt, uh, I felt like I had the the bandwidth to um, to start. Uh, preparing for the CCC um yeah so it um the the kind of the base uh requirements to apply uh first of all you just need to have uh a, a, like your red seal for at least 5 years um right you need to submit uh your resume obviously letters of reference from i think two previous employers um have valid food handling like the 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 base requirements are not to um, not so rigorous, um, really all things considered. Um, mm-hmm. and then once you're accepted, there is a, um, a theory exam and, and then a two-part practical exam. Um, the theory exam, the, um, the topics are nutrition, human resources management, uh, cost controls and menu planning. And then the practical side. Um, the two parts, one is it it all kind of centers on this menu that you need to design and, and serve. Right. And they give you the structure, they give you a set of constraints and they give you, um, some requirements and some essential skills that you need to demonstrate in the execution of the menu. Um, the two parts of the practical, the, the first one is called your office day where you go into a computer lab and you have eight hours to write the menu um, satisfying all of these, um, requirements, uh, demonstrate the, or sorry, cost it out, um, and, and write all the recipes. Um, and then the second part of it is the kitchen day where you go into a kitchen, you're given a set, uh, a fixed amount of equipment and space and, uh, an apprentice, <laughs> and then you cook this menu for yeah. a panel of judges.
1: Um, just like it would be in real life. Well, <laughs> Eight hours for menu development, eight hours to serve your first guests. That's it. No testing, no nothing. It's,
0: uh, well, yeah, it's, it's actually a pretty interesting process. And yeah, a lot of it is not, uh, there's, there's lots about it. That's not realistic in, in a, in a restaurant context. Um, mm-hmm. But it's very well th- thought out. Um, and yeah, so I don't know in terms of the, prep. So there are, uh, for the theory exam, there's a series of preparatory courses that you can take like on those four, um, subjects that I mentioned. Um, and yeah. so the, the eight months leading up to the theory exam, I was taking those courses. Um, they're very well aligned with the exam. Like it's like, if you <laughs> basically the questions right. on the exam are very similar to the questions that you would be doing in assignments in those courses. So they were, um, they were great, uh, prep work. Um, and yeah, the exam was just three hours, multiple choice and short answer, everything from like basically kind of nutrition trivia, what I would like those kinds of questions like, you know, what yeah. does vitamin K do in your body? Um, to, um, you did have to write some menus, um, in the exam, like that would have been mm-hmm. one of the short answer questions, writing job descriptions on the HR side like that, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Alan. My friend is interested in taking the CCC uh, theory mm-hmm. exam. Would you say that? <laughs> would you say that my friend would have a shot of passing that exam based on uh, based on industry experience without taking the uh, the course the study courses leading up to it?
0: Um- on industry experience alone I personally would not have passed that exam mm-hmm. um, If however you could read the textbooks that inform the coursework you could you could definitely right. challenge it um, And so it was a little bit tricky because some of those prep courses didn't necessarily have an official textbook but for instance if you could read and understand and do all of the practice problems in um, like nutrition, for food service and culinary professionals text and those Daniel Traster texts that we've talked about in previous conversations, the, um,
1: right. Like the menu development foundations
0: of cost control. And, um, I can't remember the official title now, even though I plugged it so often the, the Daniel Traster, uh, foundations of menu planning or something like that. If you could work through those books, then I think you could challenge the exam and be successful. Um, a lot of the, especially on the cost control side, it was um, there was a lot in there that I didn't have exposure to at all. Right, like obviously I did costing when I was in industry, but um, the coursework is much broader than what I had exposure to. Like it was like right. not just you know determining food costs, but uh, like reading budgets and profit and loss statements and stuff like that, which I kind of had done right. in schoolwork beforehand, but not not like this. So yeah. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. So you do the theory exam and then, uh, if you, I I think the passing grade is actually 70% for that. And if you, so if you pass the theory exam, you move on to that office day. And so now you're starting to think about this menu structure and the requirements and constraints. Uh, and maybe we'll go over those. Um, so you're serving uh, a six course menu. And the high level structure of it is uh, it's an appetizer, and then a soup course, a fish course, a palate cleanser that can be either a salad or a sorbet, a principal plate, um, and a dessert.
1: And you're aware of this structure. And some of the constraints before you yeah, go into Yeah, it's your posted on day, the CCI right? website. Yeah.
0: So I've known, I like I read them two years ago and I've been thinking about <laughs> thinking about this menu for two years. Uh, and even like right. to the point of like putting certain things on the menu at earnest to try and practice some of the required techniques and stuff like that. So, right, okay. Um, I was spoiled and fortunate to be able to do that. Um, some of the um constraints are uh, so they tell you that this is this menu would sell for 85 dollars and it needs to have a 28 percent food cost within half a percent
1: six courses
0: yeah <sighs> okay um the the total amount of food served needs to be between 32 and 34 ounces per guest
1: um by weight i assume <laughs> yes <laughs> yep why is it in ounces, Alan? Yeah, that's that's Sorry. weird. <laughs> because <laughs> because weird. everything everything else in the
0: um like it, when you you do the the costing and everything, it's in grams and milliliters and all that. But but it's funny because yeah. portioning is one thing where I I totally think in ounces. Like no one like you know what I mean. Like protein for yeah. a main should be six ounces raw kind of thing. But like I don't even know what that is in grams. Yeah. I'd have to do the calculation, but. <laughs> So it seems appropriate, but it's part of this weird Canadian.
1: There's a little bit of that for me too.
0: A weird Canadian, uh, mismatch of, uh, metric and U.S. customary units. Yeah. What else? Oh yeah. Okay. And you're going to scoff at some of these, I know, but one of the (laughs) constraints (laughs) is that you can only use cream in two courses, which which is kind of, it's, it's random. Like constraining
1: constraining butter
0: to two courses would be much, much more difficult, I think. Um, yeah, totally. but there's definitely like if, if you can't have cream, but you can use milk and butter, then there's a lot you can do, right? <laughs> you can make cream. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> if you have the right tools. <laughs> um, some of the, uh, required elements are first of all, you need to demonstrate, um, the boning of, uh, meat or poultry. You need right. to demonstrate, uh, the filleting of a, of a whole or the cleaning of a whole fish. Some of them are kind of weird weird either or uh, demonstrations. So you need to have on your menu either a consomme or a mousseline. And those have nothing to do with each other, but you need to demonstrate one or the other.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, You need to, what was it? Oh yeah, your dessert needs to either be a souffle with a sabayon or it needs to have a pastry filling sauce and garnish of either sugar or chocolate as appropriate to your concept.
1: Oh yeah. So basically, I I think that constraint is probably there to make sure that there's like a cooking component to it <laughs> or something like, It's
0: funny we um often have actually, you know what? Maybe in one of our last conversations we've talked about how line cooks like are so bad at pastry that they just like if they figure out anything any successful dessert, they just like clasp like cleave to it so strongly for their entire career and cook it again or prepare it yeah. again and again and again um i think besides like um those dessert requirements just like ensure like th- those are classic um uh techniques and preparations i think it also ensures that you don't have some weird line cooking dessert show up on the exam like
1: like trifle right. or posset or <laughs> um yeah or um uh trumpet what's that one <laughs> Uh, that is like the French Canadian dessert of like putting, um, brown sugar on bread and soaking it with like cream. Or oh, or something. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: you also need to demonstrate, uh, oh, you'll like this one, the, uh, turning, turning vegetable, turning or carving vegetables.
1: Right. Oh, you got me, Alan. <laughs> I can't help but scoff.
0: <laughs> and almost, Almost everyone, almost all of the candidates who went through this year had not turned vegetables since they were in culinary school. Right. And what else? Oh, yeah, your, your principal plate needs to comprise uh, meat, veg, starch, sauce, and garnish. Um, I miss. Oh, yeah, and you also right. need to demonstrate either a butter sauce, so beurre blanc or beurre, beurre rouge, um, or what they call a glaze sauce, which I'd, I never really heard that term term. Um, but yeah, some kind of sauce that I guess naps and glazes um your protein. Right. The, the example they give um is a velouté in Coquille Saint Jacques. So um really
1: yeah. that's a glaze? That's, Interesting. What, that's what,
0: Okay. That's the def, or sorry, that's the example they give. Yeah. Yeah. So um I think I got them all. Yeah, those are all of the those are the requirements um and constraints. I- yeah.
1: I think when you were talking to me a little bit about it, or is it, are you talking about just for the construction of the menu and the office day and not necessarily for the practical, the actual practical part of the exam yet or, or the, those, it it seemed like you mean like there's constraints
0: in the kitchen, obviously like constraints of time and space, obviously, is that what you mean? Or
1: what I'm thinking of is you had mentioned to me that like one of the I don't know if it's a constraint or an expectation, but one of the expectations is that you provide some kind of like um, demonstration or like teaching during the practical part of it as well. Yeah.
0: Um, And so for the kitchen day, uh, you're given an apprentice. So most of the – these are either people who are currently in the apprenticeship program or um, several of them had actually just finished, uh, just graduated from the full-time culinary program. Um, You're given an apprentice to help execute your menu – but if you read through the the rubrics um, for how you're assessed, and they're all posted on the CCI mm-hmm. website, oh, I see. Okay, it, okay, yeah. It says explicitly, like that you are demonstrating and instruct, like you're not only giving the apprentice meaningful work, um, but that you are instructing them. And so when you're breaking down the fish, it, there's, this can only be. I mean you still have service deadlines and quality expectations, but it is expected that like, say when you're breaking down the fish, um, that the apprentices are getting a crack at it basically. Right. And so the way that I did the way that many candidates did it was like to, okay, we're going to scale the fish. So I'm going to scale the first side the apprentice will scale the second side. I'm going to take off the first fillet. The apprentice is going to do the second. That definitely, that kind of mirrored activity where like I'm doing the first part and then you, you copy me. That was not, carried through the entire production day because of the exigencies right. of having the, <laughs> of service and, and food production. Um, but as much as possible, like, and I was just talking to the apprentice, the whole, like I'm, while we're making the mousseline. it's like, I'm telling him, you know, the basic formula and process and, um, yeah, I'm doing the pureeing and I show him how it gets passed through to Tammy, but then he, he like is the one who passed it through, like, passed the remainder through, um, that kind of thing. Um, other kind of constraints.
1: So, sorry, I kind of skipped us That's ahead okay. there, but, if you, but that is like yeah. something
0: that you would need to consider in the office day when you're writing the menu. Um, it needs, the menu needs to be executable by you and an apprentice, um, from the time you start until the first course goes out is five hours. Um, and you only have a, a set, um, amount of space and equipment. And I actually, this is one thing that I thought was kind of cool about it. Like, even though the exam happened in labs where there were rationales and, and whatever, like steamers and what other, uh, whatever other fancy yeah. equipment. Each candidate and apprentice together, they only get six gas burners and two gas ovens, like the low boy ovens under the range, um, and, and two workbenches. You have access to a roboku and Vitamix, and you can requisition um, stand mixers and pasta rollers. But otherwise, yeah, that's what you get. Um yeah.
1: It's a pretty limited set of equipment. I mean, there's some good things on that list, it's some necessary mm-hmm. things, but it's pretty, yeah. And then you can bring in a piece of equipment you, too. Yeah, Is that sorry. right Like if there's one specialized sort of piece of equipment that you think that you might need to execute your menu.
0: I think, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever uh, tested the boundaries of this. You, you can bring in basically whatever you like for equipment. Like if you want to bring in a circulator, you can. Um, they have a weird- oh, caveat to that that it needs to be made available to all the other candidates but that's it's kind of silly oh, right. in the case of a like I can understand that if it's a what like a like a pastoral or like sure yeah you only need it for 10 minutes and then someone else can use it but at the circulator like if you're you know cooking your <laughs> short rib in a circulator like you're using it the entire time so I don't know how another candidate's gonna
1: I suppose like if you set it up in a bath that was at a specific temperature and someone else needed to cook something also at that specific temperature, then maybe you could make it available right. to somebody else. Yeah. But yeah, that's tricky. Um,
0: and I guess another constraint would be that you don't actually know what, in, what ingredients are available to you until you, until you start the office day. Um, so it's something right. okay. like a black box challenge, except the black box is huge. Like it, <laughs> there's like, there's, there's, okay. there's lots of ingredients and you can, you can bank on your pantry. Like obviously like you're, You need to execute pastry, So obviously there's going to be milk, flour, butter, sugar, all that stuff. You need to demonstrate boning of poultry or meat so you can count on there being maybe there's chicken or duck or a game bird or whatever. Um, But yeah, to me, the produce was the the most surprising. Like it was a little narrower than I had uh,
1: expected. And so you can have an idea of, like you said – dishes that you might want to put on your menu or things that, you know, like you would know how to execute that meet the constraints or whatever, or meet all of the requirements. But until you go in for your office day, you don't necessarily know if all of the ingredients that you're going to need to execute that dish the way you have it in your head are going to be available for you on right. the day. Yeah. Or whatever.
0: And so I went in, like I had a menu planned to the T, but then basically for every single ingredient, I had two or three ideas of what I could uh, substitute for potentially yes yeah. right um gotcha. and a lot of the that actually informed how i designed some of the dishes where it's like um it's a kind of like i know there's going to be eggs and so my appetizer was based on eggs and i had hoped to use oyster mushrooms in it but it could have worked just as well yeah. with something as different as zucchini or or whatever um so yeah i had right all these backup all these plan b's and c's um uh, in my head gotcha Um,
1: and also, also, I, I I really want to move on to the practical because I'm sure that's sort of like the more exciting part to talk about. Um, but, but I'm fascinated about the office day. Are you like, so you have a menu in your head or whatever with like multiple possible ingredients. Are you allowed to bring any reference material in with you on the office day?
0: Uh, the only, the only thing that you're allowed to bring in, uh, is your pastry or your dessert recipes. It's kind of, it's, it's another kind of arbitrary, like you do you're not allowed to bring in any savory recipes. You don't have access you're not like you're not don't have access to the internet. So all your mess recipes are coming from your
1: head. So it's that's it so funny. Like, <laughs> it's like it it's it's a test designed by savory chefs, yes. which like takes into like account the um the foibles of of uh savory yeah. chefs in that they can't remember a formula for a dessert
0: but it's weird so like <laughs> so yeah it's just your dessert course recipes you can bring in but like for your palate cleanser if you're doing a sorbet that's that's as formulaic as it gets but you, you but exactly. i exactly i had to memorize that
1: it's such a weird distinction yes, i agree um
0: <laughs> yes and it is like an old yeah it's like it's the line cooks uh you know dessert stumbling block that they Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it would be unfair for us to ask (laughs) ask anyone who's any kind of savory cook to remember how to make any kind of dessert. So we'll we'll allow them to bring in a dessert recipe. (laughs) It's like it's interesting too because like I think that and I don't know maybe this is just my own bias or something, but I feel like you know a lot of you know and especially for fine dining and and like. Presentations for multi course meals and things like that. Like a lot of savory components have gone in the direction of, you know, using more like pastry oriented mm-hmm. techniques and, um, and w- which then also require much more, uh, like regimented formulas. You know, whereas back in the day, I can see why it would make sense. For, you wouldn't necessarily need a recipe for a savory dish because the method for cooking that dish is like by flavor mm-hmm. and, you know, tasting it and checking the seasoning and things mm-hmm. like that. But there are a lot of components now that people make where, where, and it's not, you can't necessarily, it's more like, you know, like if you're making something that's gelled or something yep. for, you know, one of your, for like an appetizer course or something, sometimes it's not necessarily, to, uh, like possible to know, or to taste it ahead of time and know what it's going to taste like after it's set yep. or something like that. And so you, you need to use a formula. Mm-hmm. And so it, it becomes like I, the more cooking moves in that direction, the more arbitrary a rule that becomes, yep, you totally. know?
0: Yeah. And that's something I think we talked about it in our 11 Madison park cookbook conversation. Like, yeah, the, the, some of the principles of uh, pastry um, making their way into savory, the savory kitchen and I've even seen like a lot of not a lot. I've seen some savory recipes adopt the the baker's uh, percentage formula in the way that they're they express their quantities um, right If it's something like say the gel where it's like you have to juice some fruit first and you don't know exactly what the yield will be. Um, and so it's really useful to use the baker's formula um to 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 rate the right. recipe. yeah. um I will say the office day I <laughs> it being eight hours long. And me already like having thought out the menu, um, even even cooked through most of the recipe or a lot of the recipes as well. I was like, "There's no way I'm going to take eight hours to do this," like, um, but I totally did. I stayed the entire eight hours, and it's uh, mostly because it it did actually take some work. Um, One of the one of the tricky things was for that twenty eight percent food cost when I was brainstorming menu ideas, I was pulling pricing um, off of the procurement system at Nate. And of course, food prices have gone up a lot in the last year, the last two years. Um, Right. But I wasn't a hundred percent sure what the prices would be on office day. Like, are they going to be live today's prices or did they make this spreadsheet a few months ago or whatever? Um, So the first thing that had me stay in there longer than I expected was that uh, when I, plugged everything in I actually was quite a bit under 28% and it took me a while oh. to figure out how to add the value to the menu to to hit the 28% food cost so part of it was thinking about how I was going to use my my I knew that I wanted to use chicken on my principal plate um, instead of saying uh, you know I'm going to yield 100% on my chicken and I'm going to make stock from the bones and all that it was more like I just I say, I'm actually only going to yield 70% and I'll buy some stock and stuff like that. And a lot of it also was just like ratcheting up the, like my, (laughs) you know, using fancier mushrooms, using champagne vinegar instead of cider vinegar, um, buying, requisitioning more butter so that I can like mount my sauces and glaze my vegetables and all that. So um, that was the first thing that took longer than I had expected. Um, And then also just typing out, a recipe for every single component. Um, even though I was very familiar with the recipes, I ended up typing like 20 22 or 23 pages of text.
1: Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Like every recipe plus the menu itself and you know, all of the, and and then plugging in all of the costing mm-hmm. and yeah, it's, it's yeah. quite a bit. So yeah, I think that I would struggle to do all of that in 8 hours even if I had it all right. in my head. Like,
0: yeah. And like I <laughs> And again, like not every, I don't know, I, I'm very comfortable with computers and I can type 90 words a minute, but I don't think that's the experience of a lot of chefs, right? So yeah, I, I was surprised at how challenging it was, which is an arrogant thing to say, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I,
1: well, and yeah, I guess when I was like, when, when you told me what the constraint was for costing, like six courses and it has to be served for $85 and has to be 28% food mm-hmm. cost. I mean, I guess... Yeah, actually thinking about it, if like they are also setting the prices of the pantry items, then, you know, they can decide sort of whether – I mean, uh, you know, like they wouldn't make butter four times as expensive as it normally would be. But they have some control over how easy or difficult it is to make – to meet 28% by, you know, by stating what the pricing Mm -hmm. is, right? Like I guess – Hopefully they wouldn't hand you something where it's like, yeah, nearly impossible to meet that twenty eight percent with the pricing of the ingredients right. or whatever. And I so.
0: think actually, I had heard that the prices that were in the spreadsheet that they gave us were actually from last year because prices have gone up so yeah. much. They, I guess, they could have also just raised the selling price. I don't know why they didn't do that, but um, to yeah. to make the to make the twenty eight percent achievable, they used last year's prices. But,
1: right. That makes sense.
0: Um. So.
1: So then, are you? So you do you get a mark for your office day before you move on to the practical so part? So, right.
0: <laughs> kind of one of the funny things, because the the requirements and the rubrics for assessment are quite transparent for the for mm-hmm. the kitchen for the kitchen day. Um, what was very odd to me is that you you do get the your mark for the theory exam, but I don't know what I scored on the office day or the kitchen day. It's just like a either oh, really? you passed it or you didn't. And I I think huh. that maybe if I if I didn't pass or something I probably could have gone to them and asked to look at the grading and everything but right. for me it was just you passed <laughs> you don't not even with a mark which is pretty it's strange actually. I don't know why.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. pretty weird.
0: So once you do the office day, your menu is locked. You you can't change it um, at all. And whatever you have requisitioned, um, to, to achieve that 28% food cost, that's what you get to a gram. Like if you, if it's 225 grams of flour, that's exactly what you will be requisitioned. And that's the end of it. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and then, so you, there was two weeks between the office day and the kitchen day, which I was able to practice quite a bit. I had Again, like I was familiar with the recipes I'd made most of the recipes before, um, but fine tuning them to make sure that the quality uh, was very high um, was important, but even more important than that was doing a full run through with an apprentice,
1: right? which Which, we did together. Spoiler alert. Yeah, Um, we did together. It was funny
0: because you had just got back from Japan and we spent eight or nine hours together. And we didn't even mention Japan once.
1: <laughs> it was pretty because, crazy. So yeah, you,
0: you came and, and sorry, I will say, so I, as an employee of Nate and like I work in the institution that is administering, um, or sorry, that is hosting these exams. Um, so that's, uh, I, I was very fortunate in that way, but, uh, Nate does open up these kitchens to any candidate that wants to come in and practice in the in the labs that the exam will be held. That's good. um, and in addition to that, actually, they had a kind of informal mentorship program where one of the instructors who had previously been a judge in the exam um, would come in while you were cooking, give you advice, taste your dishes, try and like inform you what the expectations were in terms of the presentation and the flavors and all that. Not every candidate was able to take advantage of that because many of them were coming from out of town and had to like, obviously have jobs and had to come say like the day before the exam. Um, but there was a handful right. um, who were able to take advantage of that. Um, and it makes a huge difference uh, for sure.
1: When we were there doing our practice run, was there anyone because there were a couple other, I guess there was only, there was only one other person who was also doing a practice yeah. run or we were catching the tail end of somebody else's pra- practice run. That's right. Run. So one
0: other candidate had just finished, uh, right before we started. And another one w- was, he kind of like had overlapped with our timeline as well. Yeah. So there were three people practicing right. in that lab that day.
1: And were they, uh, both of those other people, were they, um, employees of, uh, one, or were one any of was, them One was
0: and one was not. One was, um, the chef from, uh, Joey's bell tower in Edmonton.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And uh yeah, it was <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah. I think I think I was still maybe slightly jet lagged by the oh, time. Oh, that's we, your excuse by I'm the time we kidding. did. <laughs> <laughs> so you you and me
0: did a full run through. So like I the day before I scaled out all of the ingredients that I had requisitioned, put them on a cart, right. um and invited you in and obviously you're not an apprentice, but I you behaved like one, <laughs> I treated you like one. Um and we tried to <laughs> do right. uh we did a full run through starting with the like all of like the whole fish and the whole chicken and all that. Um and then trying to follow the timeline of the exam, even when it was difficult. <laughs> like we pretended that it was the real thing and we made whatever accommodations we needed to, to serve the food on time. And that experience, like if I hadn't done, I know I keep saying stuff like this, but if I hadn't done that, I would not have been successful on the kitchen day. Even knowing the recipes inside out and backwards, pulling it all together and understanding what the actual kind of benchmarks in the timeline are to hit the service deadline. You're supposed to be able to do that just like by thinking it out in your head. And I had a a first draft of a work plan, but it was not realistic. (laughs) Um, And so doing that cook through and understanding like, no, you really only have whatever it is, 90 minutes to do all of your pastry work, 70 minutes to do all of your meat fabrication, that, that kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And to understand um, where the apprentice helps you and speeds you up and where it slows you down because you need to provide the, the leadership and instruction. Um, instruction, yeah, that was yeah. E- essential. I, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, I, I mean, I guess like when I, when I was sort of like making fun of the idea before of like, you know, you have to come up with this menu basically within eight hours and then you just have to go and cook it with an apprentice within five hours. I mean, uh, yeah, like obviously I knew that there was some practice involved, but at the same time, it's like, pretty i mean those those types of things like those timing things and and where to like if the timing starts to go wrong where to extract additional time from to fix mistakes and things Mm -hmm. like that those are when, when you're working in a restaurant things that um you know like you have the opportunity to learn by Failing (laughs) and then, um, and and then like going back and reassessing how you did something to make sure that you succeed the Mm -hmm. next time. Um, yeah, in an exam like that, it's yeah, there's very little of you know the opportunity for you to um, do something and then fail and then learn from it. Um, and yeah, on our day, there were a lot of. I don't know if I would call them failures but like there were there were a lot of like fail states that were exceeded wherein we had to sort of like adapt to those adversities and figure out a a sort of like realistic way to um continue to uh get everything right. done in a way that was going to meet the mm-hmm. timeline. And uh yeah, it was pretty like I you know I I was kind of w- when I was like picturing it in my mind before we did before we did it I was like well, you know, this will be, this will be like a pretty fun little challenge, but I, it was like, once we got into it and sort of, and I, and, and, and the timeline for doing everything sort of started to like sink Mm -hmm. in for me, I was, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be like, you know, a heads down, we really need to push and be doing and and really be multitasking and really be taking advantage of all of our time if we want to make sure that we get everything done and we don't feel rushed throwing the food on plates and things like that so
0: and we were able to do that we did hit our service windows and the food uh i was quite happy with um but the biggest like to give people a sense of how rushed we were um, I did it, like the dessert, uh, pastry, that tart. I, I cooked immediately after we served the principal plate. And so we were like basically down to the minute and I was serving a, uh, a tart that was fresh out of the oven. Um, it was not supposed to be served that way. It was delicious, um, but it no. wasn't the plan yeah. and it really did. Um, yeah, it was, it was a bit hairy
1: (laughs) yeah i mean like yeah like you had the pastry for the tart shell and the tart filling um, prepared from when we did the uh from when we did sort of the section where we um, did most of the prep for the Mm. pastries or for the dessert but basically (laughs) the main course went out and then you rolled out shaped blind baked (laughs) the tarts put in the filling, bake the tarts and just got them out of the oven within like the final minute of when the fail, the fail state for not being able to serve it would have occurred. It was was really crazy. Um, And so,
0: yeah, I I was able to improve that workflow on the kitchen day. Um, That's good. but Yeah. So thank you so much. It was really fun. And yeah, it was actually, like I said, a lot more difficult than I expected. Um, so yeah, thanks for your help. Um,
1: yeah, no worries. I'm glad that it was yeah. helpful, and I mean, you passed the kitchen oh, exam. Alert. Just so <laughs> sorry, Just <kidding. laughs> and so congratulations. And yeah, I guess like I guess in in doing that practice, we were successful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that feels good. Um, so I kind of had one question about like the ingredient part of it was there anything that like on your office day was were the, did you make any mistakes on your office day that you really that you realized afterwards and that you had to figure out a solution for when it came to cooking in terms or, of
0: requisitions yeah um not anything major one one uh, thing that happened during the office day is that i had really hoped to use grainy dijon mustard in this Piccadilly preparation. And they oh, right. didn't have that. Um, they only had smooth Dijon, but I had access to whole yellow mustard seeds. And so I was like, oh, actually it might be even better if I just pickle mustard seeds and use that where I was going to use grainy Dijon. It's like better better texture yeah. or more interesting texture. And so I had to like make up a pickled mustard seed recipe, which I've, like, I've made that oh, yeah. before and I have one, but I had to just kind of pull one out of my head. And I didn't yeah. have enough sugar i should have ordered more sugar and vinegar but that was a mm-hmm. tiny thing um yeah there was a maybe a few other things where i was like oh i could have had a few more <laughs> teaspoons tablespoons of that or this or the other thing but right. um no i i my requisition was pretty solid i think well that's yeah. lucky <laughs>
1: because if you <laughs> because if you yeah put the wrong amount of like flour on your pastry recipe and then requisition the wrong amount of flour and you can't change your you can't change your menu you're kind of stuck yeah. like, I, and one thing yeah, i'd be curious to know what you would have as options to sort of like fix that if you found an error that's like right that.
0: and especially if it was like an error uh say like a unit conversion error where you you ordered 10 grams of something instead of 100 grams of it to whatever um where it's really yep. not a workable situation. I don't actually I it's not clear to me how like the, <laughs> yeah. it's not clear to me how the um judges and examiners deal with that. Like do they do they requisition the correct amount but then dock you really heavily in your office day right. or do they just give you what you ordered and say deal with it? I actually don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah interesting.
0: Um should I say what the menu what the menu was? Okay.
1: Yeah. Go through the menu. Uh
0: so the appetizer was an oyster mushroom timball. Timball is just a fancy French word for a kind of ramekin. So this was basically a savory custard um with oyster mushrooms and spinach in it. It was served with a goat cheese fondue, uh roasted cherry tomatoes, crispy prosciutto and chive. I might have called it bacon and eggs if I wanted to be cheeky. Um <laughs> The soup course, this was one that I had to uh, change. Um, I I had gone in hoping to serve a chilled uh, pea soup, but they didn't have peas on the produce list, and so it became a chilled beet soup with uh, yogurt, cucumber, mint, um, and hard quail egg.
1: Did you have also the beet soup idea in your head as a replacement for the pea soup before you went into the office day? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that's a pretty brave... If if you didn't, I would say that's a pretty brave substitution.
0: Yeah. And it actually, even the the procedure for the chilled pea soup, which was stolen from mm-hmm. the 11 Madison Park cookbook, sure. um, worked great with the beets. Yeah. And the other... Like the, like it was going to be peas and mint, but like beets and mint makes sense to me. And, um, and I knew I, wa- I just wanted to have a chilled soup so that my courses went hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. Um, right. The fish course... Uh, and this was another thing I had to change to bump up my costing. It was actually, sorry, my value, um, was, um, a, a duet. So it was salmon and scallops, uh, with roasted mm-hmm. radishes, beurre blanc, and dill. The palate cleanser was a rhubarb and basil sorbet. The principal plate was a chicken ballotine, Um, so, uh, boned, flattened, stuffed, um, chicken, uh, so that's, that's where my mousseline component was. So it was a lemon and herb mousseline inside the chicken um, mm-hmm. with uh, fondant potatoes, asparagus, uh, potato and Parmesan puree, and a chicken reduction. And then dessert was berries and cream because I'm a little lad who loves berries and cream. <laughs> 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 it's a little inside joke for each other. Like it actually, the title of the dessert was in quotation marks, berries and cream
1: uh <laughs> and when I saw it I laughed and Alan was like why are you laughing why well, was all <laughs> as if he if he didn't as if he didn't know that I was a little <laughs> lad who loves
0: berries and cream. I was all business that day so I didn't even <laughs> want to get into it but um <laughs> I don't even know what conversation that's probably from the Halloween candy conversation about the old Starburst commercials with the character who's a little like a oh
1: yeah, yeah I think it was from there yeah yeah
0: <laughs> just go on YouTube and search Starburst berries and cream um but yeah, sorry, the course was uh, a frangipan tart, uh, diplomat cream, fresh berries, berry coulee, and nougatine. Yeah, so that, w- that was the menu. Mm-hmm. Um, kitchen day is crazy. It's like, a, it's like you're on a TV show. Like, it's you arrive at seven in the morning, and they actually have the apprentices draw from a hat which candidate they will be um, huh. paired with. So right. there's a bit of theater there, a bit of drama. Um,
1: <laughs> they don't make them draw knives from a block. <laughs> you should.
0: I'll recommend that for next year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a, it's a random pairing. You're, you're not allowed to be paired with an apprentice who, who has worked for you before. Yeah. So you, 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 draw apprentices, um, and then you have a, a bit of, uh, maybe 30 minutes to, Brief your apprentice to go over the menu and the work plan to show them the kitchen- like most of most of the apprentices were very familiar with the kitchens already because they had done their apprenticeship or their full uh culinary at nate um and then yeah eight o'clock is when you're allowed to start handling food and right it's an interesting uh, we've talked a bit about how neither of us have very much competition or really any competition experience um yeah, but a lot of a lot about this structure of exam was like competition cooking. Um, yeah. so for instance, what there, there's no garbages in the labs. There are no garbage cans in, in the what? labs. What there is, um, there's two hotel pans put on your workstations, and one is for compostables and one is for stuff going to the landfill. And that's your garbage because the judges and that
1: has to be on
0: the station on top of the table. I
1: like on the tabletop.
0: I was able to change it to Cambros, which are a little bit less of uh, take up a little bit less space. But it needs to. It's on top of your workbench for the entire day, and the judges look at it and see what you've thrown
1: out. I mean, the judge is looking at at your waste. I was pretty aware of when we did our run through, but there was when we did our run through it felt like table space was very yes. limited and we had our garbage and compost like in regular garbage bins on the floor. Right. So yeah, that's sounds very annoying to me.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I immediately, that was my first question to one of the examiners was, can I use, can I use a court Cambros instead of, um, hotel pans? And they were fine with that. Um, so yeah, it was a little yeah, less good. obtrusive. Um, and, uh, one of the, lessons from our run through was, um, doing a lot of, so obviously you can't handle food before the exam. Like you can't pre prep anything, but anything that's not food that you can pre do, you should do. And so examples are right like, I, <laughs> it's funny, like the smallest storage container in the Nate labs is a one liter Cambro. But cooking Uh four portions of things for a six-course menu, like you're dealing in like such tiny quantities. So I brought in a bunch of deli cups, like eight ounce and 16 ounce deli cups because they're just so much more compact and you don't need to clutter your station with huge stainless steel bowls and cambros. Um, But like I pre-labeled a whole bunch of those containers and Mm -hmm. I made labels for, you know, things on our food card. Like I made labels for each of the six courses or so cart could be organized um, when they <laughs> when they requisition you the ingredients they don't label anything so you just have like this random assortment of like you know white liquids and it's you have to figure out whether it's buttermilk go through or and figure cream, out which one's or, milk yeah.
1: and which one's cream and yeah
0: and so just to avoid any confusion especially with the apprentice um, I pre-made labels for anything that I thought might be confusing so like red wine versus red wine vinegar. White wine versus champagne vinegar, buttermilk, whole milk, right. c- cream, all that. um The parchment circles, like to line my tin balls, like I pre-cut those because you can just do that and bring it in as part of your kit. Um, right. Yeah, ju- stuff like that. And it seems like each individual thing, like it's only saving you a few seconds, but on the aggregate, when you're like, it's you know, you're label making fifty labels over the course of five hours, like it
1: was helpful. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um yeah. And then um I knew from our run through that meat fab all of the meat fabrication needs to happen in 90 minutes. And otherwise we would be sunk. And so it was like as soon as the whistle goes or whatever at eight o'clock, um, like we immediately like we had our cutting board in the sink, ready to scale, um, and we really were able to attack that. Um, we did hit the 90 minute mark for doing our like cleaning and filleting and portioning all of the salmon, cleaning the scallops, um, ballotine shaped, mousseline made in the oven, eggs separated. Um, so that went really well. Um, That's good. the next portion of the day I had.
1: Cause I think for us that took, did not it happen. And I think at the time we were like, well, it's okay if we spend a little bit of extra time on meat fab because everything else will just fly <laughs> yeah. by. We,
0: we definitely were, were North of two hours when we did it. Um, yeah, And then the next section, um, was largely patisserie. Um, and the big takeaway from our run through again, it needs to, it needs to only take 90 minutes and we needed to find ways to just cram more prep tasks into the background. So like while I'm doing something like mixing the tart dough, I need to have like, I'm, I'm toasting almonds, I'm toasting walnuts. I have prosciutto crisps in the oven, like more of those kind of background tasks. Um, otherwise it left too much uh, later in the day, uh, to realistically accomplish on time. Patisserie still ran long, um, on the kitchen day, but I was able to accomplish more in, in that time than we had in our run through. There were some, um, yeah, some, some surprises just like there, there was with us, there were some hurdles and speed bumps and surprises, um, during kitchen day. So like one example, um, the apprentice was, um, doing the scaling and uh pureeing of that chilled beet soup and uh he dumped all the ingredients into the Vitamix bowl and immediately all of the liquid components the buttermilk and water and stuff just like poured out of the bottom. <laughs> there was a crack oh God, or something no in the Vitamix bowl um and so <gasps> there's a buttermilk all over the station <laughs> that's awful um, <laughs> yeah so we like <laughs> get the Vitamix bowl into a into a stainless steel bowl to catch whatever liquid is coming out still Um, some of the, we had lost most of the buttermilk, but some of the Greek yogurt that had said was set aside as a garnish got put into the soup. So it had the dairy flavors, like the cultured dairy flavor still. And like, whatever we made the best of it, our portioning on this soup was a little bit less than I wanted. Like we probably only served three and a half ounces of soup or something, but, um,
1: yeah, the portioning on the soup when we did our run through was also very tight, and we had everything that we <laughs> needed. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. There was one ingredient that we had slightly less of, and so I put slightly less of everything else in the soup so that the ratio would be the same. But like, was it the beets? Uh, yeah, I think it, yeah, was it was the beets. Yeah, yeah.
0: Some of the yields and portioning, not not for everything, but some of them were like, I. <laughs> maybe it was foolish, but like I really had them like you had to be using a spatula to get every last drop of some things out of a bowl, um, to hit, to hit the desired yeah, for portioning. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. For-
1: well, and it's funny because with like, with something like beets and you're roasting them and then skinning them, you don't exactly know what the yield yeah. is going to be because it depends on the size of yeah. the beets, you know, how much skin to flesh ratio totally, you're going yeah. to have and so yeah it can be tricky it's funny the yeah, the
0: it's the little things she the little things that <laughs> um like say talking about beets i rec whatever i requisition something like 250 grams of beets and that could be like mm-hmm. five or six little beets or one enormous beet,
1: one big chunk and of it's beet. funny yeah, exactly
0: so i the <laughs> the ones that i happen to be practicing with they were small and so i was able to just roast them whole and that's really great for preserving the Pigment, like you end up when you roast them whole and then skin Mm -hmm. them and puree them, you get really vibrant purple color. I was the day of the kitchen exam. I was requisitioned one enormous beet, and so I was like, "Do I roast this whole? Because it'll probably take like two and a half hours in these gas ovens." Um, Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't think I want to chance it. So I I cut it up into like whatever two inch pieces and roasted it. But then so much of the when I pureed it, so much of the pigment was lost um it ended up looking oh. the soup was much more red than it than the vibrant purple it had been during practice but anyways right. um
1: luckily you don't need to state on your menu exactly, <laughs> exactly. what color your soup yeah, is yeah it still be.
0: looked fine it was just <laughs> funny that yeah something that only i would notice perhaps but um yeah the other big time crunch when we were going through was i got the the tim balls into their water bath in the oven like not a moment too soon they basically came out of the oven <laughs> yeah moments before, well, yeah, as we were plating basically.
1: Yeah. Like we were, we already had most of the plate assembled and (laughs) we were just like waiting for the tin balls and then we took them out and a couple of them were still a little bit soft. So we had to unmold them and put them back in the oven and then get them on the plates, like within the very last minute of the, of the like failure window in order to take them out on time. So one,
0: and one change I made to the workflow was that I scaled all of the ingredients for the tin ball much earlier in the day so that if there was some kind of crunch like that, I knew that I could put them together like to cook the, the, the interior garnish and get them in the oven very quickly. Um And yeah, so the, it still was a big rush going into service um, the way that, but you have a service timeline, like service starts at one o'clock mm-hmm. with the appetizer. And then each successive course is served 20 minutes later. Um, you cannot serve early. Um, and then to get full marks on the timing of your uh, service, you have a two-minute window, and to get any marks at all, <laughs> you have a five-minute window. So, like if you serve yeah. after, so if it's a one o'clock deadline, if you serve after one o five, you get zero on timing. They'll still taste and evaluate your food, but you don't get any marks for your timing. Right. So five minutes before each course is to be served, uh, one of the the lead kitchen examiner announces like five minutes until appetizer service, um, and then at 1 o'clock, he would announce to the kitchen the appetizer window was open, and then he would announce five minutes later when it was closed. Um, and you do actually – so when you and I practiced, we we smuggled in some guests to to eat the food. That's right. And so we would plate, and then we would run the food across a kitchen and across a hallway to serve these people the food. And in my right.
1: – so yeah, we definitely lost some time. <laughs> and there. in my
0: mind, I was like, yeah. "Good thing I won't have to do this on Kitchen Day." But you do, you and you and your <laughs> oh, apprentice you your need own to run the food day. to the judging room. Um, so it was good that we practiced that. <laughs> yeah.
1: No. Okay. Well, fair enough. It's a good thing we did do it then.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And, and it, with regards to that timing window, the lead examiner's advice was like the way that things are weighted. It's much more important that the food is properly cooked and seasoned and delicious than it is for you to hit that window. So I think
1: like, right. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Like, let's say you missed all of your timing windows. Could you, if all of your food was good, could you still potentially pass?
0: So the, um, I don't know the full, I don't have the full rubric memorized or anything, but your assessment on kitchen day, 50% of your total mark is your kitchen assessment. And 50% is your tasting assessment. For your right, tasting okay. or your, I don't know what they call it, tasting or service assessment. Um, only 10% of your tasting is for your timing. So, like you if everything else were absolutely perfect, you would only be losing five percent of your final percent yeah, of I your total exactly. mark. Yeah. Um, and so I actually honestly I don't know exactly where I fell in the window for all the courses, I I suspect, I think that only two of them, two of the six were in the two minute window. And I know that one of them, mm-hmm. the soup was actually after the five minute window. We went to plate the soup and I realized that it was not, it hadn't been in the fridge long enough. And it was, it was at like 16 degrees Celsius or something. Uh, Even though I, I had, had in the recipe to chill it over a bowl of ice, <laughs> that didn't happen. Oh, I see. And so I took the time <laughs> to get ice and, and stir the soup in a, in an ice bath, um, to get it down, um, to fridge temp. And so I was late on that course for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, you're also,
1: sorry. Do you think, I I wonder, I mean, obviously you made that choice for a reason, like to you, it must have seemed like if the soup wasn't cold, that it would really be off-putting and you, you would jeopardize the the mark for like the actual like flavor and quality of that dish. It's funny
0: because so you're also um, graded on the temperature of your food, like within a few, a few seconds of putting the plate down for the judges, they like point a temp gun at it and record the temperature. Oh, And so it is like a hot food, hot, cold food, cold kind of thing. Even though the, the temperature is assessed at the same weight as something like the timing, like It's not going to sink you if your temperatures are off. I just felt like the their impression of the dish and the flavors and everything would make much more sense and be much more favorable if it were properly chilled. So right. I don't know. That that was the decision at the time. Yeah. So yeah.
1: I mean, I'm pretty impressed to hear that, that you think that you got the two-minute window twi- uh, twice because that's... Man, two minutes is a tight window. I suppose like, you know, if things are going well and everything's you know (laughs) everything's moving along in the way that it's supposed to be it should be relatively easy to hit the two minute window for your first Mm. course because you know like theoretically if things are going well you can basically have your first course like almost you know plated before you even get to the window and then just have the hot food come out like right you know, just before you're going to yeah. hit the window and then they say, okay, the window is open and then you already have it ready to run. Like that one seems kind of yeah. like a gimme first course, but then after that, you know, like things well, start to the stack The other gimme up.
0: is the sorbet, right? Or like not everyone did a, a sorbet, right. but I did for my palate cleanser. Um, and that one, it's just easy to hit the window because it's only two components. You scoop, you scoop the sorbet and you garnish it yeah. and you can, if you start scooping immediately <laughs> before the window opens, then you're golden. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, those are the only two that, like you said, I think I was within the, it's hard because they don't announce it. Like they don't announce that the two minute <laughs> window has closed. Yeah. Um, but I think the appetizer in the sorbet, I was able to do it. Gotcha. Service was hairy, just like it was, well, sorry, not hairy. It's was a lot of, it was, you had to move fast. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was able, I still had to bake the tarts between courses, but it wasn't between the right. principal plate and the dessert service, <laughs> so it went a little bit better. Um, That's good. Yeah, I think I was able uh, because the sorbet service was so easy, and I uh, the principal plate was designed in a way where you could basically have things in the oven waiting for pickup. I was able to roll and yep. bake the tarts between the sorbet and the principal plate. Oh, yeah. So they, yeah, they weren't being served directly out of the oven as they were during our practice. So that was good.
1: That's yeah. good. And for the tart, it's kind of like, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily want it chilled. Like room temperature would be ideal right, probably, yeah. right? And I don't know
0: how that affects the yeah. way they evaluate your service temperature. But yes, that that's what I would say. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, service happened. And then we cleaned up and they had us hang out in a room for a while and then they would call us in
1: oh really there's a stew room
0: (laughs) again like a tv show right
1: Um, that's hilarious um before before we move on to like uh the the um yeah
0: the reveal or whatever
1: (laughs) the big reveal um when we like when we were doing the service part Mm -hmm. um And I'm sure that a lot of this was, you know, probably due to the mentality that, you know, we both understood that we weren't actually being judged um, during service. But there was there were definitely quite a few like areas where it wasn't as organized as I'm sure that it should be when you're actually moving through the service for the exam like we still had components from previous courses out on the table while we were serving like the next course and stuff like that and I was just curious uh like during the actual exam if that went better for you it went
0: much better it was not perfect because there was still things like a lot of those um a lot of components like the fresh herbs and the carved uh cucumbers and stuff like that I was we were doing it between courses so we had product out right okay but yeah it it was much better than when when we did it and and one table was able to be fully cleared um and reserved for plating um and then yeah the the second table had cutting board and uh hotel pan on ice with with these herbs and other garnishes that we were working with so it wasn't completely without clutter um yeah but it was better
1: good So you bring out all your food, you clean up, you're exhausted. They put you in a stew room. They make you wear
0: blindfolds. (laughs) Um, (laughs) One of the things, one of the uh, rules is that when you show up, like you need obviously need to be in whites. You can't have any logos or emblems from the place that you work on your clothes. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like I couldn't wear my Nate whites or my Nate toque or anything. Um, But I was joking with the instructors because some of the, people evaluating you are my coworkers, like other nate employees and they would obviously know that i Uh work there so i was joking that i was going to do the whole thing with a paper bag over my head
1: um that would have been an interesting (laughs) challenge for sure
0: um anyways yeah so they you're left like you can hang out in the kitchens there there was like a kind of break room with drinks and stuff. Um, but yeah, you're you're waiting around and then they call you into a room with all of the examiners one by one. And this is the other, like we were talking about not getting your grade for the office day. Very odd to me. You come into the room and literally it takes eight seconds and they say, congratulations, you've passed. And then you walk out of the room. (laughs) It's, it's, I, I don't know if it has to do with the time, like they, they really want you to know when you leave that day because they don't want you to have to go home and stew on it for a weekend or whatever. Right. So I don't know if that's why they do it that way or if there's some reason that it needs to be opaque or what, but um, yeah. apparently they said that if you don't pass, you will be given like some of the broad or the high level reasons and then... A few weeks from now, apparently they prepare a report for you that like has the photos of your dishes and where, like where they fell short or where you were graded low and stuff like that. But I don't think they do that for the successful candidates, which it's just, it's (laughs) really odd to me. Um, Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was like, it's borderline awkward because you're just like, you walk in, there's probably, there's more than a dozen people in the room, the people who are doing the tasting and the kitchen assessments. And then it's
1: just like, congrats. Is it you and your apprentice or is it just 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 you, the candidate? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, that does sound very awkward, especially since there's no other information mm -hmm. given. Like, it seems like the kind of thing where they could, I I mean, I don't know, maybe I, I guess I can see why they don't do this on purpose, but it seems like the kind of thing where they could just make a list and then come into the room where you guys are all waiting to find out the results and let everyone know what their result mm-hmm. is. You know, I guess I don't know, maybe it's for people that didn't pass that they then don't have to suffer that in front of the Definitely, entire yeah. group or yeah, something. I think like that, that would but be very difficult. Yeah.
0: yeah. Like sorry, that situation yeah. that you just mentioned, it makes sense to me that they do it individually. But it's odd yeah. that they are not, that they don't share any, it's it's odd that you don't get a report card kind of thing, <laughs> like, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, uh, yeah, ultimately, if you pass, then maybe it doesn't really matter, but it would still be nice to know, like, you know, which things that you felt like you needed to improve on that maybe no one noticed, mm-hmm. or which things you you know, thought that you nailed that actually caused a problem for your mark or yeah. something like that. It's like, it seems like it would be pretty useful information to have. And you do all of that preparation and then you, you know, cook the meal and then, and then it's just like a pass or fail. It just seems, yeah, it seems very, I don't know, non-educational. Right. Yeah. yeah. mm mm-hmm. But I guess also if you pass, then you're just like, okay, <laughs> See, great. <yeah. laughs> now I never have to worry about that ever again.
0: We were Some of the candidates were joking that you should have to renew it every few years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, is there a renewal no. state? Like, or Do you have to do anything? Like I, it's always been a question in the back of my head of like how much, how much continued study and like updating of, of like uh, their education, do doctors need to do t- in order to stay right. certified? And yeah, yeah. I, obviously the stakes were a lot lower right. for a chef, and so I would assume that it would be mm-hmm. less. But you would think that there would be some kind of like, you know, benchmark for having to right. stay current. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so now you're a CCC. So you moving up in the world? Hey, Alan.
0: Not really. I
1: mean, I mean. Oh no. <laughs> No bigger right no no <laughs> but it, no, honestly, it
0: was it was actually a really excellent experience. it um it was challenging, and it had mm-hmm. me learning about and thinking about things that I wouldn't have had to in my like I haven't <laughs> it crossed my mind actually while I was preparing. I have never had to create a plated dessert before, really? Yeah, like I've worked the dessert <sighs> station in fine dining right. restaurants, but I've never, I never developed those dishes. Huh. And I think we've talked about how this is like one of my weak area, like just not an area of expertise for me, pastry generally. And right. so it was really fun to, like, I made this idea for dessert and then was able to serve it to one of the pastry instructors at Nate and pick his brain. And I, yeah, like I haven't had to do sugar work since I was in culinary school really in any meaningful way. Yeah. So to learn how to do the nougatine and stuff like that. Or the sorbet. I I know it's old hat for you, but like I haven't had to use a batch freezer since culinary right. school, like that kind of thing. Um haven't had to turn vegetables since culinary school. Um so yeah it was fun to and I had the luxury of time and resources to really um work on those things and it was fun. Yeah. It was a Yeah, that's great. And, and even like the like going the the candidates who a handful of the candidates who went through with me like being able to practice with them and have that shared experience um, it was awesome.
1: That's yeah, cool. It was. Are you depressed now that it's over?
0: Now I'm on to the next certification. I'm gonna be. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is there another certification?
0: Um. Well, yeah. The so the CCI, the Canadian Culinary Institute, they have two certifications that they administer. One is the okay. CCC. Do you know what the other one
1: is? Mm. No, I, but, but I feel like maybe we've talked about it before.
0: Shale, it's Master Chef.
1: Oh, certified okay.
0: Master Chef.
1: <laughs> and do you, do to take that exam? Do you have to go to France or something?
0: <laughs> I think you have to go to Ontario.
1: <laughs> I can't. Remember. I think it's either Humber Humber
0: College or George Brown college are the only place is the i can't remember which one i think it's humber it's the only place in canada that does it hmm. and that's a different uh a whole other ball of wax. like there's obviously there's hundreds of chefs with their ccc um there's only five in canada that have their master chef certification wow so it's much it's a different thing
1: <laughs> yeah that's crazy five you say yeah huh so who do you think does that?
0: Who 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 has done that? The only one that I've met personally uh is Michael Allemeyer, who he just got it uh I think in the last 5 years maybe maybe mm-hmm. 10 years. Um he's currently an instructor at SAIT like in the culinary arts department at SAIT in Calgary. Um but before that like he went through um a lot of big kitchens and hotels uh in Vancouver and the West Coast.
1: I see. <laughs> And I mean, like, I understand, do you think, do you think that those people do it for the challenge or do you think that there's like some practical reason why it's worth it for them to do it?
0: I imagine it's for the challenge. I don't, I can't, I can't picture what the practical benefit of it would be. Like I, so few people have it. I don't think there's like a pay structure that, you know, you're going to get a raise and a promotion if you have it. Like. Right. Yeah, but, exactly. But I
1: don't know. Otherwise, more than five people would have it. Yeah. If it yeah, was exactly. a pay incentive, yeah. yeah. there would be a lot more than five people with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. You going to do that one at some point, Alan? I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I doubt that I would ever do CCC, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, Within the realm totally of outside the realm yeah. of possibility. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, something like I wonder how much it costs to do the Master Chef certification.
0: That's a very good question. In some ways, it's structured similarly to the CCC, where there there are preparatory courses that you take. Um, and but I, I think that the um, the practical components are much more extended. So it's not just cooking one menu over one day. It's like there's one day right. that's entirely about. I, I don't remember all the details, but there's one day I think that's entirely about like cold buffet, like pate terrine type preparations. There's right. one day that's entirely about pastry. There's one day where I think you're doing something like the menu that we just described, but it is um, for some specific dietary restriction, like for oh, yeah. a diabetic or for a vegan or something like that. So yeah, it is It is much longer and more diverse. And
1: Right. Yeah. And since so few people take it and pass it i would assume that the cost is high because they still have to administer it but Mm -hmm. like you know but it's for a pretty select group of people so unless i don't know unless maybe the the like budget for it is provided by like the member fees of people who are in like CCI or right. something like that, and that that's the reason why they have members is so that they can support this, um, you know, higher tier of uh, of certification or something like that. Mm-hmm. Then, then I guess it might make sense. But yeah, it sounds like the kind of thing where it's a certification that would cost the person who's trying to get certified quite a bit of money to yes. do it. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. Are you, are you happy to have the time back and not have to worry about it anymore or do you, or do you, or do you feel a little bit like oh now what now now what do i do
0: Oh yeah no i'm happy to have the time it um the yeah. the prep work over the 8 months leading to it was like it was not insignificant but it was it, like you're only taking one class at a time and so it was just like some hours here reading some hours there doing assignments but the yeah. the the two weeks between the office day and the kitchen day i I was surprised like it, it really took over my life um and it was yeah. partly because of like because I was at I was working at Nate and so and so many people are involved with it there or interested in it there it's like all anyone would talk about like anyone who just like would see me in the hallway would be like how CC how's it like what's your menu like are you are you practicing are you um yeah so yeah it really was um yeah it's what I it's what I did for two weeks or what I thought about for two weeks yeah and totally. so it is it is a relief to have that um Time and mental energy back. <laughs> that's I good. can like talk to my kids again, and <laughs>
1: <laughs> we can re- record a podcast episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I love that part of it. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Congratulations, Alan. Thanks, Jill. I'm uh, proud of you, bud.
0: That was so patronizing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs>
1: good work champ yeah (laughs) Uh, maybe maybe also a little bit jealous too (laughs) well
0: if you want to do it and you need an apprentice you know where to find me
1: thanks for listening to food court a podcast recorded in edmonton alberta canada Food Court is hosted by Alan Sutteby and Shale McDonald. Theme music by Ryan and Shale McDonald. Make sure to subscribe to Food Court in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or in your favorite podcast player. We love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at feedback at foodcourt.fm or find us on Instagram at foodcourtpodcast. If you want to spread the word, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks with a fresh new episode. Thanks for listening.